What's up? It is 2 p.m. on a Wednesday afternoon. Thanks for tuning in to Cannabis Legalization News, where we explain marijuana laws so you can change them. Today, the big story, a GOP bill aims to block uh, low-income people from getting weed. It's messed up, but we're also going to hear from Joby out of Seattle. Uh, we're going to talk about French cannolis passing, so let's just get right into it. Hey, Miggy. Yo. Hey, Tom. What's going on? I've made it back from Seattle. <laughs> back in, uh, in one piece. Back in one piece. And, you know, thank you so much for tuning in. I'm trying to have a new setup over here in Cannabis Legalization News. We have a lot to go over this week. And if you guys are joining us, thanks so much. Shout out to our members. Don't forget to click that bell and uh, subscribe to the channel. You're helping in your own little way legalize weed. Seriously? Uh, yeah, man. It. We have so much content coming. We've thrown it at Lauren. We're like, here, you edit this. Uh, and so uh, hopefully she's not going to get really upset with us, but... Uh, <laughs> We, we actually, one of the, one of the people we saw was educated by Frenchie Cannoli. And yeah, so, that's going to be a Yeah, good, we're going to have part. them on. So yeah, definitely stick around, but let's cover the lead story first. Yeah. You know? In WTF news, GOP bill aims to block marijuana purchases by low income people on federal assistance. Yeah. And who, who introduced this one? Uh, Republican uh, congressional lawmakers on Monday. That'd be uh, sponsored by Representative Tom Rice and co-sponsored by Representative Jackie Walorski. Yep. Um, we hate to get political here on the show, but it is a fairly political show or at least a legislative one. Uh, you know, it, and we don't get why a lot of the times it's Republicans, specifically from South Carolina and Indiana. Uh, yeah. But- yeah, and so there are a latest series of attempts over recent sessions to block low-income families from using temporary assistance for needy family funds for cannabis. And my my retort to that is, well, how can they tell? <laughs> all all of the transactions are in cash. Yeah, I, but you know, uh, a spokesman for uh, so back to uh, being a white rice. A spokesperson for Rice told Marijuana Moment that the congressman believes it would be a misuse of taxpayer dollars to allow folks receiving welfare to use funds for marijuana purchases. You know, I but this is it's it's a wellness issue. It, it, this is not like, hey, they're getting you know smoking cannabis and this is a great time. Oh, yeah, maybe it is a great time because they're feeling better. Well, again, uh, I'm sure that it's not the easiest thing in the world to be poor. I, I've been there. Uh, it's not. And so it, it's kind of nice to be able to have uh, some cannabis. But at the same time, I just don't see what it's for. I mean, like this is the, this is one of those do nothing bills where it's designed to target the welfare abusers. And then meanwhile, Amazon doesn't pay any taxes. Well, it, it is, again, this is still a, a preempt, right? This is all about like the future of uh, a national legalization. This is not like uh, local individual states. These guys are foreseeing the, the future. They know it's coming. You know, with the recent Schumer thing, mm-hmm. uh, uh, like we talked about, even though it might not be the best, it does show a good example of what the kind of uh, uh, le- legislation that's going to be happening, the, 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 the regulation that will be happening. Mm-hmm. Right. Just the yeah. different tiers and, and then different aspects of what they have to meet in the government side. Yeah. And you know what they uh, titled it? What was that? The oh, Welfare shit. for Needs, Not Weeds Act. Yeah. You know? And then these guys are from South Carolina and Indiana. It does not, nothing for their constituents. They couldn't buy weed within it already. Now, it's interesting that it's targeting uh, the debit cards that they give for the, the TANF uh, uh, benefits. But also, you're not going to be able to use those cards at, at an ATM at a dispensary how they're gonna know whether or not that atm is at a dispensary is another matter yeah. but uh, it looks like the you just have to go to an atm like at your bank and get cash 
and then go to a dispensary to completely frustrate the purpose of this law. And again, it's just it just goes to show the point of this law was to fail so that you can say like, well, we, we, they're they're abusing the system. They're abusing the system. These poor people that don't have enough money for food are abusing the system. Right. Or or, or like this is the this is just going to keep them down. This is more oppressive. You know, like obviously they can't think when they're high or function. Yeah. Or, right. Or, yeah. yeah. Says the people from South Carolina and Indianapolis. But uh, past guest, Queen Aducey, a policy manager for the Drug Policy Alliance's Office of National Affairs, said that millions of Americans living with chronic debilitating conditions rely on cannabis to manage their symptoms and significantly increase their quality of life. And so for millions of patients, cannabis is a need instead of introducing a bill to ensure that under-resourced individuals, including veterans, have access to cannabis medicinal benefits, Representative Tom Rice chose to exemplify how far-reaching the drug war apparatus goes in surveilling and policing under-resourced people. Yeah, as she continues that, this bill is disgraceful. Culmination of stigma against under-resourced people and misguided st- uh, stigma against cannabis. A medicinal plant. Representative Rice is out of touch with where the rest of the nation is on the importance of ending the war on cannabis and the needs of millions of Americans who benefit access cannabis smash them likes for safe access and also to end the war on cannabis well you know i mean because it is it's a wellness issue it's a health issue judicial and and even textile if you really get into it later on but it, it yeah. it's better yeah yeah yeah, I know. But now uh, that frivolous bill being out of the way, the big news and was unexpected and tragic news in the cannabis um, movement this week is the untimely passing of Frenchie Cannoli. So, um, you know, you want to bring Joby on for this one or do you want to just yeah. go through a story and then let's bring Joby on because he was actually educated by Frenchie yes. and he's a license holder in uh, Washington state that uh, uses uh, Frenchie's methods and offers products to that marketplace. Hey, Joby. Joby, thank you so much for coming on Cannabis Legalization News. Can you introduce yourself to the audience? Uh, Yeah, my name is Joby Sewell. I own uh, Seattle Bubble Works up here. We're a 502 licensed processor, and we specialize in bubble hash. That's the bubble works. Mm. Hence the bubble works. Very cool. Hence the bubble Um, works. How did you, uh, uh, what what, what brought you to Frenchie Cannoli when when you were inspired to make hash? Uh, Well, I, I was interested in making hash, and uh, we had already started making it, um, but we weren't as successful as we would like to be. It wasn't coming out the way we wanted, and we were trying to figure out how we we're going to do it on a, in a sense, commercial level. Uh, and uh, the the friend that I have, his name is Will Carter. He suggested that I go to a Frenchie training. Uh, so I went down to Portland, uh, with my lead hash maker, basically my only other employee. And we sat through one of Frenchie's, uh, daily, you know, programs. It was like a weekend and it, it blew our minds. Uh, it was just a totally different way to look at, uh, the plant, the resin, uh, and how, and how to process it. And so we came back and changed everything we were doing. And we went and, uh, did another, uh, another training with him just to, just for a refresher and uh it, it just loved spending time with him we went out to dinner with him one night uh heard a lot of stories and uh we met kimberly uh his wife and they, they were just fantastic 
and you said like he was even following up with you, like touching base yeah. with you and whatever you guys questions. I mean, he was Absolutely. a true, yeah. Oh, so awesome. Yeah. Dude. It was one of the best things about him was that he said he does everything open source. He goes, once uh, you come to this event and you've been trained, he's like, you have access to me if you have any questions. And we shot him a few questions uh, and he responded right away and was uh, really positive in, in, in you know, pushing us to, to keep trying to get better and better. It's awesome, man. Yeah. And I'm glad that he's, you know, in this, the last phase of his life, uh, he really did just teach people how to create hash and share his knowledge and his passion with the world. And he left it a much better place. I mean, uh, the products that we got from uh, your company were just fantastic. Uh, And I can't wait to see if I can make some of them for the license holder that uh, is my client that is putting together his craft grow. Because in Illinois, craft grow comes with extraction and I was hopeful that I'd be able to maybe see Frenchie when I go out for my Ganjier certification this October, but that's no longer in the cards. But I'm glad that he was able to teach so many people that, you know, it really does live on. Uh, It's that knowledge that you share with others. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, he was great about that. He just he made you feel like part of the family. I love that you say that family because that's the vibe I got from your business. Like, I was very inspired by the way you operate your your, your small little business with a little like meeting your lead hash maker and having a little conversation with him when he's like, "Yeah, my first time here," and he takes me to go meet French, you know, the, like the masters, you know, like that's yeah. you're, you're taking good care and you're making good product because, uh, like you said, it's 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 a competitive market and you got a low. Like your infused joints, you know, I, I was smoking them before I met you. And then uh, uh, it was cool to see that, you know, you guys do take care. You know, it's yeah, nice. Well, well, I appreciate that. That's very kind of you to say. Uh, the hash joints uh, for me are specifically, even more so than the temple walls, remind me of, of Frenchie because he would sit there and he would roll them while he's talking to you. And he'd be like, oh, is the resin? And he's rolling and he's like, oh, the resin is so fantastic. And then he'd light it up and he'd sit there and he'd smoke and he'd continue to talk to you about the resin. And you can smell the hash and the weed. And so now like the hash joints to me seem like remind me of like, him like the way that he would smoke them while he was making hash as yeah that's That's where the inspiration came from so did you go to one of his lost art of the hashashin or the the hashishin seminars yeah yeah we we went to two and then we also uh had him come up um he was kind enough to come up and do a private uh teaching for a group of bud tenders uh the people that work in the stores up here and Mm -hmm you know, really tried to get those guys in there so that they could hear the story and be able to tell that to the, to the consumer. And, and everybody was blown away by it. Uh, they all came out of it saying the same things I did, which is I'm looking at the, the product completely different now. I'm looking at THC as a resin uh, and, and how that resin develops differently than I did before. Uh, so it, it was... Yeah, I was lucky enough to actually watch it three times in a sense. That's awesome. I mean, you're very old school. I, I, and I'm just real quick, I'll share a little, uh, uh, you know, your operation. You know, this is a bubble hash, you know, uh, yeah. our cold water hash being in a, mixed and being ready in process. I think that is pretty cool. And and like, like, like you were saying about open source, you know, it's not rocket science. You're making hash. You're making a no. thousand year old product. Right. We, we like to say, and I think Frenchie coined it, 
first is that we're what we're doing isn't really like taking like BHO where you're taking garbage and trying to turn it into diamonds. Uh, we don't really do that. What we do is we we're more of an expression of the strain and the grower because without good resonated uh, cannabis, we can't make good hash. So it, it's not like we can take something and turn it into something that's not. Uh, and I, I kind of like that aspect about it because I come from the wine industry. It's like making a wine. It's like there's just a natural process. And the better the grapes, like the better the, the cannabis, the better the hash. And they have a lot of good uh, wine growing areas around the Seattle area because of its weather patterns. Uh, one of the other things that Frenchie really spearheaded was the terroir movement. And so right. I don't know is there, for terroir for, for cannabis. And then there would definitely right. be terroirs all over the world, uh, specifically mm-hmm. for hash does, considering that you can grow really good grapes in, in the Washington State area, therefore you can grow really good wheat outside as well. Does Washington State have any plans that you are aware of, of getting its own terroir? No, I, I don't, and I, I and I believe that even if uh, we attempted as a industry to do so, it would be probably fought pretty hard by the by the wine industry because uh, they wouldn't want to dilute what, you know, in their opinion, would be diluting the the, the nobility of their. AVAs if their AVAs are sharing <laughs> AVAs with cannabis and they don't want people growing you know, like I, I think we both know where Red Mountain is they don't want you growing cannabis on Red Mountain they want you growing Cabernet or Merlot hmm. so <laughs> excuse me so I think okay. that there would be there would be pushback but I think it is inevitable I think I think it's inevitable of course. Well, you mentioned something when we were doing the tour of your production facility. And, you know, stick around. We have some really cool uh, Bubbleworks content coming where he gets into the nitty gritty of the operation. And so that's going to be one of the episodes that we, we filmed. And so if, you've, if you're out there and you just won one of those infuser licenses or you want to get a processor license in the East Coast, check that one out. But you mentioned something that Frenchie taught you about um, – how to make the temple ball that was like a little different something about cracking the heads of the trichromes can you explain that yeah. to us a little bit without without going off on too much of a geek mode and and into uh, yeah. two, two different tangents uh the way he looked at it uh and taught us was that the 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 thc head uh is like a fruit and so when you when you're shaking what we're doing is shaking the tree so we're shaking the tree and the ripest fruit falls first and after every drop you're getting different degrees of ripeness in a sense uh so uh, what we do is you imagine taking those heads and you put them in, and then you have to crack them to, in a sense, release the juice and release the oil. And that turns that product into a, a fundamentally different product than if you just, pre- you know, you just have hash and you just kind of kind of hold it together and roll it into a ball. That That's not making the Frenchy pimple ball. You have to take the time to heat and crack the heads, uh, then work it with your hand. And by working it with your hands, uh, obviously gloved, you're adding warmth and heat. And the longer you work, the more you're actually going to activate some of that THC. So you get a nice mix of unactivated and activated THC. Uh, so uh, that's, that's how the temple ball is made is through uh, like pressing it, squeezing out the oil, then working it by hand for uh, a significant amount of time and then rolling it into a ball and then storing it. It can store. How long does it store? Well, I, I don't know if there's a, a definition for how long. Uh, I will tell you that at Frenchie's uh, 
every time he did one of his uh, his shows, uh, his trainings, we we would go and he would have hash out for us to try of his. I mean, like these massive forty gram temple balls, just beautiful. And uh, he would, you know, he told me the first time we were there, he's like, "This one's ten years old." Wow! Like, I got I got I got to try that. So so I tried it and it was very smooth. I mean, I can't tell you how it changed. I, I would have to see a test, like I believe having a test for uh, like right when it's harvested and made and then testing it 10 years later would be really interesting to see how the cannabinoids uh, and terpenes uh, change. Uh, but it was smooth and, and it definitely was a nice high. And every time he had some, I think the next time it was seven and then one time, yeah, I think he had a 12 year old. Uh, so I don't know how long it'll last, um, but it will, it, it does last. I just love that it's it's like it's the equivalent of either a wine or like a scotch or something where you've aged this product uh, to to maturation and then it has that stable uh, period. So I've never tasted ten year old hash, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I'll see what I can do. We're we're, we're storing some for that purpose. Nice, but you you know, again, who knows? Maybe you did because it got smuggled across and sat in someone's closet for a long time before they had a chance to offload it. You know, I mean, but that's what hash is awesome about because in Europe, that's where it was predominantly. You know, for the you know transfer. You know, it's easier to carry a hundred pounds of hash than a hundred pounds of weed. You know, you know, more malleable, easier to hide. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. Less less prone to mold and, and failure yes. of that stuff. Yeah, I know. Smaller. I know somebody who made temple balls into circles, then put holes through the circles and made it into a necklace and wore it onto a plane. Uh, Brilliant! So they could take it with them. I did not do that yesterday. I should have. <laughs> that, like, uh, and I would not recommend it, but it was yeah. interesting. I, I wouldn't recommend it either, but you know, I had a, such a great time interviewing uh, you. And Miggy's got to go run do his job. He Thanks. volunteers over his um, uh, lunch hour to do our podcast. But yeah, man, uh, it was really cool. And I, I you know, uh, get you on the phone here in a few more months when we're ready to start building out the extraction lab because it'd be interesting to have the French cannoli method of hash. Uh, at least somebody who is educated on it available in the Illinois marketplace. Yeah, I would. I would love to be uh, of any service I can be to you to to help you guys moving forward. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. And we just wanted to then do, you know, just to pay our tributes and our respects. You're not supposed to have dead air on a on a broadcast, but you know, uh, it it was unexpected and it sucks. You know, that guy gave so much to the the to the love of of this cannabis plant and to the industry. Yeah, he was really more of an artist than a traditional hash maker he was he's just an artist in my mm-hmm. yeah well joby thank you so much for joining us we're gonna move on it. out with the news but uh, it's great seeing you again man have a good week thank you you do the same thomas it was my pleasure have a great day. awesome cool take care man all right in other news we can finally hit a 420 because and this one is for frenchie so i i should put some hash on there i'll have to do that some other time In something that would have come in handy yesterday news, uh, marijuana is no longer seized at airport check-ins in New York. 
So police are no longer seizing marijuana, making arrests, or issuing tickets for low-level possession for travelers passing through Albany International and other airports across the state. That's uh, pretty good news. I'm not sure if you've ever accidentally flown with uh, cannabis on you. Sometimes you'll get back to wherever you're going and you're unpacking and you're like, oh, oh, uh, Anyway, uh, so back to that story. Uh, Bart Johnson, a former state patrol colonel who is the federal security director for 15 upstate airports, including Albany International, said marijuana is no longer something that security officers are looking for when they pat down passengers or search their luggage for contraband. New York possessed up to uh, New York legalized possession of up to three ounces of marijuana back in March. And so Johnson says we aren't going to seize it. They're just looking for threats like explosives knives, guns, you know, the stuff that could actually cause other people harm, especially on a plane. The TSA is required by federal law to notify law enforcement when they discover what appears to be an illegal substance. But while marijuana is still considered illegal under federal law, the TSA is not a law enforcement agency. And if the Cannabis Opportunity and Administration Act passes the Senate and becomes the law, it will no longer be the DEA's purview. It'll go to the ATF and they'll add the word cannabis to that. Stupid money. Where are we at? Oh, we are just about to start talking about Republican lawmakers that are going to tell the Biden to keep marijuana campaign promise by reclassifying it under federal law. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Congressional Republican lawmakers are urging President Biden to keep his campaign promise to reschedule marijuana under controlled uh, substance act. Yeah. I mean, what's up Republicans? This is a mixed bag. You know, they love, they hate. They love, they hate. And that's okay. You know, um, it, it, everybody's got some blood on their hands, especially uh, the president with True his story. participation in the crime yeah. bill in the mid nineties. Uh, yep. no, I'm not sure how much he participated, but I'm pretty sure he voted for it. Oh, he and started. So, <laughs> in, 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 I don't know. I don't know about that. But anyway, oh, well, I mean, he was part of. Um, yeah, I get you. These are representatives out of Ohio and Alaska. Alaska, of course, fully wreck. Ohio is leaning that way. It looks like Ohio is going to have a uh, licensing window for dispos coming up pretty soon. So don't forget to reach out and get in touch with me at uh, Cannabis Industry Lawyer on Instagram, or just visit our law blog, CannabisIndustryLawyer.com, and get in touch with us there. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Joyce yeah. and Young recently. Follow so the uh, Dave Joyce, Republican from Ohio, and Don Young, Republican from Arkansas, uh, recently filed the Common Sense Cannabis Reform for Veterans, Small Business, and Medical Professionals Act, a bill to fairly deschedule marijuana. Mm-hmm. Now, is that the descheduling? I mean, we, we, we talked about it. is that better or just off the schedule all the better? I mean, like it should be with alcohol. Where's the alcohol at? Uh, alcohols where the the cannabis administration and opportunity act was moving it over to the atf and so yeah. the, the atc and then they put explosives and firearms in there as well uh, and then f so it'd be like alcohol tobacco cannabis explosive and firearms so you think they call it cannabis or like the weed the department <laughs> yeah yeah that's uh that, that is probably a way more boring job than it sounds what do i do oh i work for a, a small agency in the government well, which one? Uh, the Department of Alcohol, Tobacco, Cannabis, Firearms, Explosives, and Aliens. That's how they're <laughs> going to regulate them. Um, so, yeah, it should be noted that changing marijuana's class- classification under federal law without an act of Congress is far more complicated than a single stroke of a presidential pin. I didn't realize mm-hmm. that. Yep. But then uh, Joyce and Young filed uh, a, a bill that's competing with the one that Chuck Schumer filed that does deschedule marijuana. Descheduling marijuana would take it out of the purview of the DEA, which is really great. Now, the ATF can go 
Uh, mess with you. I'm I'm real sure about that. Uh, it's the federal government. You know, they can mess with yeah. you. Yeah. So like, go ahead. I was just say I like where these guys are going, but I don't think it's gonna go anywhere. If the Republic or the Democrats are willing to sit and block the Moore Act and the Safe Banking Act, right? Everything else is just another wasteful. Just, just, just. What are you doing, bro? They're grandstanding. It's called exactly. grandstanding. It's where it's like, look what I did. You did nothing. I introduced the thing. That I'm on no their side. Passing. That has no <laughs> chance of passing. But I Seriously, still though. did it. I am a champion of the people. Yeah. But and then this is where we can't have nice things. Why don't you just go work with Schumer? Why don't you just go over there? Hey, we're all in the same agreement. This is what we want. But no, somebody's got to be a glory hole, you know, yeah. hog, whatever. No, no, glory holes, glory hogs, same thing. So, and yeah. so uh, the attorney general can also initiate the process on his own, it says, requesting a scientific review directly to HHS. Under HHS, the Food and Drug Administration would then assess the scientific, medical, and public health implications before submitting that review to the Justice Department, which would follow through on a formal move to reschedule. Fascinating. Yeah, if only the attorney general would initiate that process. If only if, because <laughs> oh man, is it four twenty yet? Oh, you missed that. Oh, I did. Okay, <laughs> it's already been four twenty. It's almost time for name that strain. That's what I'm thinking. All right, let's play some name that strain. There's a strain. The prize Ooh. for naming that strain on today's episode is pride. We will give you mad props. <laughs> Dude, this is a very dope uh, nuggy. Uh, hand grown. Look how close it is. <laughs> I can't smell it. I can't smell it. Um, we're in but, future. Oh, yeah, that is a, that's a really nice uh, tight trim on it. I don't see uh, the sugar leaves are still kind of present, but they've been cut out pretty well. Uh, it yeah. looks very well manicured. Uh, I can't tell. I mean, it's 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 a conical shaped nugget. It's not like That's the big uh, golf ball uh, nuggets that you'd see on certain varietals. Those bigger golf ball nuggets. It's a uh, oh, it's a, it's a, it's a it's a hybrid. If that helps anybody. It's a hybrid. Yeah. Don't forget. Don't forget hybrids. All right. Has, well, why don't we keep this. doing some? We'll just keep doing like another. Story. Oh, caregivers. God. Yeah, we got stories out of Illinois. I don't even know if we've covered some of those, but let's go back yeah. to the, care- the caregivers. We'll get to Illinois later in the broadcast. And now, Care- Michigan time. Caregivers at odd with corporate cannabis over access to Michigan marijuana market. This is just like Washington, you know, the from M Live. There's a, a legislative philosophical feud boiling in the world of Michigan marijuana. Caregivers who are authorized to grow up to 72 plants at a time for themselves and up to five registered medical marijuana patients are facing off with some of the most powerful commercial producers who believe registered home growers can pose a risk to public safety and supply to the black market. You mother. Well, uh, if there was data on it, there'd probably be something to it. But at the same time, I'm glad Michigan's taking care of Indiana. Homebrew hasn't taken care of, hasn't put uh, Anheuser-Busch out of business. So can we just get over no, this whole, like... But then, like, uh, Anheuser-Busch doesn't have two-thirds of the beer that's being sold as illicit. And this is one of the reasons why they have that 72-plant license. And then uh, Michigan's first step for going to a cannabis cultivation license is 100 plants. So, you know, they should really then just maybe get rid of the caregivers uh, simply because it's this huge loophole they're driving a bus in. Uh, but, but see, you yeah. can't get rid of the caregivers when it's already the medical market. You you know, the medical market was first, Nate, and they just 
unfortunately, I hope they they win, you know. Uh, but while no laws have been formally proposed, lobbyists for a Michigan Cannabis Manufacturers Association, which includes some of the largest vertically integrated marijuana companies in the state, have been filling out the legislature with an eye on further restricting caregiver grow limits, requiring testing, and tracking a product similar to licensed business. Well, that's right there. Wow. It is because it's that testing and tracking. So yeah. if you had a license to grow 72 plants, that can move some weight. You know, uh, and do you know how much testing costs? Big girls, but, but still, yeah, it, it just—I mean, it, it's one thing. Yeah, it would move weight if you're but selling they're, back they're to stores. So much darn tax. They should have a prorated, you know, price or like the Fed—not the Fed. The state government should cough up and have like a, you know, a per diem for these uh, smaller growers if they're going to require them to have that that testing. Have the state pick up the tab, you know? That, that's it. Testing, you know, as, as we all know, is a, a very expensive part of running a regulated business. It's uh, uh, I know a lot of times that was uh, the things that would uh, put a, a hold. Right. So, like, when it was medical out here, I asked the person, uh, uh, hey, do you get all your products tested? And they're like, well, we did. But by the time we get results back, it's already sold out. You know, because they had it on the floor anyways. They were selling it, but they just wanted to provide the customer with more information. That's fine. And then, you know, if provided that it came back clean, you know, provide them yeah. with more information. But then it just kind of becomes a little bit more difficult to get the recall. So depending on where the regs are, I can see you having to get the test before you sell it. But maybe not. We'll find out. Well, and again, this was when the market was like pure capitalism. Like it was just mom and pops. You know, you, this is the this is where that seventy two plant would be a thing because people were buying from caregivers and then giving a store. And that's what I mean. If this is what they fear these these giant MSOs. It's it's crazy. You shouldn't you should embrace it because it doesn't. It's not going to hurt your bottom dollar if you're if you're producing good product. Period. Yeah, it's it's the entry model in theory, you, uh, but you shouldn't keep it that like some people are using it to avoid regulations, avoid testing and sell into, if not the gray, then the black market. Now, mm-hmm. again, I don't we shouldn't use the color spectrums, but it's there's a lot of gray areas in, in the laws that we're at. And then there's just straight up slipping it out the door. Um you know, I, I, got, I got food for thought. So it just occurred to me, like, uh, you know, we call it the black market. And, you know, I said traditional. Whoa, what? Damn, Somebody Andy. You scared Somebody me. Yeah, Andy got it. Andy. Andy comes through with Trainwreck. We'll get back to the regularly scheduled Michigan program after he gives shouts outs to Trainwreck. Nice. It's a Mexican and Thai sativa bred with Afghani indicas to produce a Northern California staple, which has a sweet lemon and spicy pine aroma. Train wreck. Mm-hmm. Train wreck. Good stuff. Now, uh, they're, the details of the proposal that's being circulated in Michigan say that uh, there's going to be measures to limit caregivers to three plants per patient and 12 plants total. So, bang, you're going to take a uh, five-sixth reduction in profits or in revenues. Uh, under the current law, caregivers can have 12 plants and 72 total. It would also require that the caregivers enter their harvests and plants into the state monitored tracking system. And there you go. So I was, I was thinking, you know, because prohibition has got to where we're at with branding, right? Propaganda. Uh, and, and I don't think uh, uh, legislatively things are slowly going to happen, right? No matter what. I, I honestly think state by state will happen first, just like in Ohio, how they're going yeah. county by county. Mm-hmm. So, so, but in the end, the Schumer type S bill will take over because you need to structure everything. But in the meantime, instead of saying traditional market or black market, we should like 
call out states like the Kentucky market. The Kentucky this, would market. Do, this would do well in the Kentucky market. <laughs> you well, know? the Kentucky, I'm sure a lot of good weed in the Kentucky market's from Michigan. Now, this 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 law goes all the way back to 2008, the Medical Marijuana Act, and uh, the patients, uh, the caregivers have free reign to provide untested weed to their patients. And there's no tracking, there's no tracing. Uh, there's cash and that's about it. And so it's a wonderful cover. Maybe what they need to do if they're going to come into some type of strange licensing uh, structure is uh, they should also then be able to retail and you'd have uh, a tiny little micro operation. So instead of getting your 72 plants up it to a hundred and say that you're allowed to retail it. Uh, and then you'd have this new, never before really done uh, new type of license where you have like the guy license you know it's like well, you got a, a guy i got the guy yeah yeah well that'd be a great craft license right like that'd be a great yeah. intro if i want to do that but like you know again you can never get rid of the patient model because the reason you have patients is for one growing's hard yeah and, and especially a lot of times just sick the sick are are, are living off of social security and uh, uh need uh safe access and so they let someone else grow uh 10 plants for them and they know they're only going to get six back because that person took the time to grow these things. But at the same time, uh, uh, it's a very hard, it's a very, cause you can't just get rid of the patients. The patient right. aspect is always has to be there. Right. But then uh, we were just in Washington. The price point has come down so low that, um, the, the patient should be able to be taken care of. And Michigan also has outdoor. So uh, one day we should be able to go to a dispensary like you can in Washington state and get a $30 ounce. Miggy, how did you describe the $30 ounce again? It, it was booty. I mean, it was, booty booty but, but like yeah. it, but it, it, my, my um, par is it wouldn't be patient uh, cannabis it, unless you turn it into a solventless extract because the patients, um, a lot of this cannabis that's cheap, you know, there's, there's, there's actually, you know, pesticides and whatnot being used. Washington state does not test for, for, for pesticides and all that unless it's medical. Yeah. Only if well, it's, uh, if it's recreational, they're just checking for THC and then and, and CBD. Uh, yeah, uh, that's, 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 com that's the Washington market, the Michigan market. It's the exact opposite. They aren't testing the medical. They're only testing uh, the recreation. And that's yeah. why they want testing parity. But uh, they did a study to see the size of illicit caregiver sales in the Michigan Cannabis Manufacturers Association, which may have an axe to grind. They hired this company called Anderson Economic Group, and they analyzed the market. And they said that nearly 70 percent of all marijuana sales or more than two billion worth were through were not through the licensed business market. They were the guy, the guy, the caregiver with 72 licenses. Hopefully they at least got that kind of cover. You know, I'm not sure if the, some people are growing 72 plants without even being a caregiver in Michigan, maybe. I mean, like, but, how did he get these numbers? Because, I mean, like, all they probably did was take the, the patient analytics and yeah. assume that they're all going off black market. Nah, yeah. These numbers are very similar to the ones that new uh, Frontier Horizons or New Heart. Uh, I'd have to look at the uh, data report again, but there's a lot of data companies that are out there getting these contracts to do these types of things. And then they would commission a study that's fairly large. And a lot of it is from survey results. And so they'd survey right. like 10,000 people. And then from that survey of all those people, most of them say, well, I get it from a guy. Like, do you use weed? Yes. Well, where do you get it from? Dispensaries or your guy? Uh, your guy. And so then like uh, it comes down to be about two thirds of people are using and, and getting it from the people that were getting it from before they had a dispensary. Yeah. yeah. I mean, price is everything, though. 
Mm, price and quality, you know, like there's quality issues in Illinois dispensaries for right now. There may be quality issues for Illinois dispensaries for another year or so, as you're going to have this new supply of Illinois producers that are going to come online. They don't have any new uh, dispensaries that have oh. been awarded. So speaking of congratulations on your award, because that's uh, Illinois news. Yep, that's that's Illinois news. There are 40 new craft growers out there in Illinois and there's 32 new um, infusers and, and then there's 136 new transporters. But uh, yeah, the, the transporters, they'll be coming online up into February. The craft growers are out there right now. And so are the infusers getting ready to go build. So it's pretty cool. Do you think Illinois is like, oh, we better hurry up and issue these licenses because Americans aren't paced to spend twice as much on weed as on this milk? According to yes. yes. According to Leafly, let's get some milk toast news. Americans spent more than $12 billion on legal cannabis products in the first six months of 2021, according to the data analyzed by Leafly and Whitney Economics. That's nearly as much as an American spent on milk in all of 2020. According to the Dairy Farmers of America, consumers spent roughly $12.6 billion on milk last year. Wow. Cannabis sales. Yeah. Well, I told you, I think uh, cannabis uh, exceeded apples here in Washington State as being the top agriculture commodity. Really? So yeah. it's Washington State weed, not apples. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, I'm waiting for that new branding commercial. <laughs> yeah. It just Washington doesn't get the credit that it needs. You know, maybe one year, maybe one year, 10 years from now, it'll start getting the, the kudos that it deserves. Uh, I don't yeah. know. We'll, we'll find out in another 10 years. It's pretty exciting. And yeah. what else did we have on that? And so so that's, you can't. Yeah, cannabis ahead. sales topped at 18 billion. Oh, yeah, we read that part. Uh, the growth will continue the cannabis industry's position as the nation's fastest growing industry. Why? Because it's been fucking illegal for many years. Of course, it's going to be the fastest growing. Yeah, yeah. That's something else, man. I tell you. So the Surgeon General says to stop locking people up for marijuana. According to the marijuana moment. Did you see that article? Yeah, that one's pretty awesome. Thank yep. you, Surgeon General. Uh, the nation's top doctor said on Sunday that it's time to stop incarcerating people for marijuana use. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy said in the CNN appearance, when it comes to decriminalization, I don't think that there's a value to individuals or to society to lock people up for marijuana use. I don't think that serves anybody well. Good night, buddy. I don't think it serves anybody well either. Seriously, it doesn't serve her. Yeah. So Murthy, who previously served as Surgeon General under the Obama administration, said he is concerned about the effort to change campus laws, getting ahead of the science. How about all that? Hmm. Murphy said, when it comes to marijuana, I think we have a to let the science guide us. And we know that the science tells us there are some benefits to marijuana from a medical perspective. But there is also some harms that we have to consider, like my pocketbook. And we have to put this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's that's the harms you have to think about. Think about Miggy's lack of money. Seriously, though, you know, somebody, you know, comments when I when I when I do talk about money and how I think people, growers and people in the industry should be making money and go on vacations properly. But like it's because in the early days of uh, like in Prop 215, this was used against medical growers. It was like how and it was because of the model. I get it. But again, it's still why attack somebody for doing something that's beneficial to somebody else and it doesn't harm anybody else anywhere along that line so like in prop 215 when they were you know giving cannabis metal cannabis it was a big deal to say this, these guys are doing it for money how can this be medicine how can this be a wellness issue yeah so 
Yeah. So, again, people should be allowed to go on vacations. It, it, this is the, the whole fight I've been doing is to normalize cannabis to to it's like alcohol. So it's like bananas. Right. So you can have a job and you say, I work in the weed industry. When Joby's head hash maker, dude, that guy smile, all those guys working, making hash. Mm-hmm. And then That's every cool. single one of them asks, like, are you making a living wage? And they are. They're paying their bills. He's all like, hell, I bring you stuff home free sometimes. Yeah. You know? Paying their bills. That's really impressive in Washington, especially the Seattle area. Those, those people have money and stuff expensive. Seriously, like uh, Murthy said, when it comes to marijuana, I think we have to let the science guide us. And we know that the science tells us there are some benefits. That would be amazing. Can you imagine if we lived in a world where America's cannabis policy was led by science as opposed to all the BS from the 20th century? Let us also remember, though, science said it turned you into a bat. Yeah, that was that was the the world's now that was the the expert Dr. Munch. We'll talk yeah. about that guy. Propagandist bullshit. Propagandist, but it, yeah. yeah, but it was yeah. the thirties. So anyway, he yeah. uh, the Surgeon General also said in terms of his approach or our approach, our being the country, I worry that we don't let science guide our process and policy making. And as Surgeon General, that's my role is to work with the policymakers who work with the members of the community and the general public to help those people understand what science tells us and where you have gaps and help to fill those gaps with research and honest inquiry. That's really all we can ask for from the country is to look at this plant honestly and accurately and then create legislation and regulation that reflects the substance and its and its merits, you know? Yeah, no, agreed. And I just realized I skipped ahead of the story. You see what I was saying when we we're together about being on the same page? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you did. You you jumped the the shark on the milk story. Just whole scrolling around, but you know that's that's the uh, the the value of being live and amateur, <laughs> right? So a man failed workplace drug test days after New Jersey legalized weed. It was fired. Now he's suing NewJersey.com. Wow. Yeah, a fired worker is testing New Jersey's cannabis law by suing his former employer, alleging he was wrongfully terminated for marijuana use days after it was legal in his state to use. New Jersey's top court ruled last year that employers cannot fire medical marijuana patients who use cannabis in their free time. Mm-hmm. The new marijuana legalization law will extend these protections to those 21 and older, but whether or not that provision applies to workers now has been debated. Yeah, and the the plaintiff in the matter is a Paul Myers. He's 53, and he filed this lawsuit in the Superior Court in Burlington County last month. The lawsuit alleges that National DCP, a supply chain company that services the Dunkin' Donuts franchise, broke the law when firing him from his West Hampton facility earlier this year. A man got fired from Dunkin' Donuts? Jesus. That's from uh, Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> from a service company to Dunkin' Donuts. So, like, there's Dunkin' Donuts, the brand. No, and then there's it. all these other ancillary companies with contracts with them. And yeah, so that's yeah. who let him go. Uh, he was hired at the facility in 2019, and he has Crohn's disease and underwent treatment for cancer shortly after he began the job, according to the complaint. Uh, the procedures require him to t- oh, wait. Where yep, am I at? Okay, the procedures require him to take extended medical leave, as did his Crohn's symptoms. He encountered a hostility from his employer. The set suit alleges as his need for time off was questioned. The deal with ongoing symptoms, Myers' doctor suggests that he use medical cannabis. He took the advice and was in the process of securing authorization to join the med- state's medical program. That's crazy because you know uh, if this helped him, he would be working more. 
he would be a better employee. Yep. And then uh, his employer caught wind of this. And so three days after New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy signed the law legalizing it in Jersey, Meyer's employee asked him to undergo a drug test. Yeah. Uh, which is, again, uh, you're asking him to do a drug test. So he's not a bad employee off, off back because you would have a, a record of things that you had to deal with. Right. Like write ups. So, so so it seems to me like why why are you trying to find the bad in the pulley? You know what I mean? They probably just don't like the plant, man. So uh, the other thing was uh, under the new law, the employers can conduct random and pre-employment drug screening still for weed use, but it cannot fire, discipline, or refuse to hire someone if that result is positive. They can still they, enforce the marijuana ban at work, which, of course, makes no sense. <laughs> to enforce the rule, they must have a certified workplace impairment recognition expert on hand to witness impaired behavior by an employee and a positive drug indicating presence of marijuana. I want to be on that board. Holy yeah. shit. I want to be on the workplace impairment recognition expert. I can I do want that. Tommy Chong on that board. Who's the most famous New Jersey stoner? Put him on that board. He needs oh, to be on the New Jersey weed man. Oh yeah, put NJ weed man on that board. <laughs> but I mean, so somebody comes out, they watch you smoke, or I guess they watch you just work because you just got done smoking. And then you, you need to be a workplace impairment recognition expert. So how do you get certified for that? Well, all right, man. Uh, you're going to really need to get ready for this one. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's awesome, though. Yep. Attorneys have noted the confusion as the state sits between two different drug testing policies. Some workplaces have continued to enforce their previous policies. Others have dropped marijuana drug testing to go together. Yeah, yeah. I just dropped marijuana drug testing altogether. His lawsuit claims the national DCP violated the state law against discrimination and the Jake Honig Compassionate Use Medical Cannabis Act, which is what they call the Medical Cannabis Act in Jersey. And, of course, also the, the new marijuana legalization law in New Jersey. And good luck to litigant Paul Myers. Do you know, So, I, one of the things I was trying, I was going to put out there earlier was, uh, like, working in guns. Do you have to be 21 and older? I would imagine so. Like, you know, maybe not, but very often when you have a restricted substance from guns to alcohol, like, you know, you go to the grocery store and sometimes the checkout people can't sell you the alcohol. They have to bring in somebody who's, you know, of age to be able to actually do the swipe on that one. Uh, yeah. Because the reason why I bring that up is like, because obviously, you know, marijuana or cannabis and uh, uh, alcohol, 21 is the barrier, right? So 21 is the barrier to feel good, but 17 or 18 is the barrier to go to war. <laughs> you know, we have a mixed, fucked up society. Like, like uh, you can't enjoy life until you're 21, but you can die for it. Right, but you're an able-bottled, strapping person. Now get in that tank and go over that hill. I, it just occurred to me the other day when I was smoking. I was like, what kind of bullshit we fucking live in? Uh, it there's a lot of it, and people like, yeah. you know, they they live in their own little lands of make believes, and us too. You know, we also live in our own little land of make believe because, uh, well. Sometimes life just is too real and you don't want to believe it. So you make up a lie and you live that one instead. Hey, I've been telling myself it's illegal in my house for fucking 20 years and so far it's been working. <laughs> right on. Well, that's going to do it for Cannabis Legalization News. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure you like and subscribe to keep up with all Cannabis Legalization News. We'll see you on Sunday.